Hello and welcome to Artbox. I'm your host, Jason. In this episode, I talked to Brad Eisen. Brad is an artist trained in programming and is shook on about distortions in reality. In his practice, his engagement of artificial intelligence, AI, isoscope animations, and glitch scanning is reflective of these distorted realities. His usage of a computer to create his work does have an organic touch to it. We talk about what drew him to AI, his influences, and his collaboration with Lawrence Lee. I also ask him where he thinks crypto art is heading. So, with that, sit back, relax, and enjoy the interview. But otherwise, I can't thank you enough for doing this. I wanted to ask, when did you actually start doing your own work? It really caught steam for me like 2012. Hmm. I, uh, I've always been interested in taking things apart and making things out of junk or old technology. But in uh, 2012, I went to a resort and uh, this resort had a lot of art. They they collected art for the resort. So there was a, a Nam June Paik piece called Internet Dweller in one of the in the clubhouse. And it was it's one of those robotic looking things that has TVs. It's like three TVs and they're all playing this psychedelic kind of video Yeah, that was Nam June Paik is famous for. Yeah. But uh, it really just grabbed me. It's kind of where I started reading up on Nam June Paik and his idea, his, his fun, the way he would have fun with the art and the way that he said that anybody can make art. And hmm. he made it out of what he knew. You know, he liked old technology and kind of studied John Cage and came out of a musical background. But then I just started uh, experimenting with technology and kind of fell into the generative uh, sphere of things, kind of the trying to replicate some of his ideas or concepts using these old VCRs. I did some stuff with some old VCRs and things to create some glitch, glitch kind of art. And so I just created it for myself just for fun and just enjoyed doing it. And then uh, I was researching a piece I was doing called Soul Scroll, mm-hmm. which is based on um, Margaret Atwood's uh, Handmaid's Tale. There's a machine in it that uh, uh, people order prayers on. So I created one of those using an old thermal printer. Oh, that's cool. But I was looking for a way to, to make it so people would actually pay a micropayment for it. Hmm. So that got me into looking into cryptocurrencies where you can pay with micropayments electronically. Yeah. And from there, that led me right into this whole wormhole, (laughs) rabbit hole of cryptocurrency and art, making art and selling it for um, Bitcoin and Ethereum and uh, cryptocurrencies. That's kind of the arc of where I started and where I'm at now. And you're still continuing the journey as, as we... Oh, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> Not to throw you a curveball here, but you know, you had on your website, you had listed uh, some of your influences. And I wanted to know where a French philosophers fit into your influences with your work. Uh, I think you're referring to Jacques Ellul. Yes. Uh, it kind of came out of my going to a Christian university mm. and studying philosophy from a, a theological point of view. Mm. I think a professor recommended that uh, author to me, or I stumbled upon him somehow, but his ideas about about technology and spirituality, religion, is a very interesting perspective. It kind of influences a lot of my art in more of a subliminal way. 
his idea was that technology is a power in the world that is inherently evil. Hmm. And we have to counter the evil. He thought of all powers, and it's kind of a nutshell of what he taught. It's very complex and nuanced. Right. But basic concept is that all power is evil, including government power, money power, the power of money, the power of, and he wanted to play them off each other so that no power had ultimate power. They all could balance each other out. And he was into the idea that God is the ultimate power. But we got to counter all these other things that are causing evil in the world. So it's a different idea than saying that technology is a tool. His idea was that technology is a power and it has an inherent draw to it, a magnetism. Maybe like holding a gun makes you feel more powerful and you're more likely to use it. So just the idea that, that objects can have a certain power to them that is kind of outside a mystical way, kind of outside of us. Hmm. Yeah, I see that. I could definitely see that in your work. Well, so kind of circling a little bit back, you talked about, you know, how you've kind of started off in this adventure. What kind of drew you to working with AI? It's kind of a combination of things. Part of it is my background in software okay. as a programmer. Yeah. That's my primary career mm-hmm. is a tech a generalist in technology. So it's part using a computer to do those kinds of things. And then it was a combination of uh, the sale at Christie's for a couple years ago for 400 and some thousand dollars of a AI artwork called Edmund de Bellamy. Yes. And I, uh, I researched that and ran into a guy named Robbie Barat, uh, who wrote the code that made that art. Basically there was a big controversy over Robbie. Oh yeah. But, uh, I took his called the art DC GAN is his tool that he open sourced that this uh, French group oblivious obvious took and used to make the picture of the, uh, kind of a portrait of a made from old paintings in a, in a model. Yeah. I'm trying but, to remember, did they, did the painting ever come into existence? Did they get it printed out or was it always stayed in digital form? I can't remember. They, they printed it out. Oh, okay. The stick on it was they, they printed it out on paper, a kind of a yellowish paper and framed it to make it look like an old painting. And then they put as a signature, they put the algorithm, one of the algorithms used in the generative model, in the AI model, they signed it with that and kind of led people to believe that the the computer made it all by itself. When AI art is like 90% of the purse, it's a lot of human labor to get an AI art device or code to to generate something meaningful. But uh, so I, I, I uh, Robbie put it out on GitHub. So I started using it to generate my own stuff using, uh, I, I used oscilloscope drawings I had made. Oh. I connected with Robbie over social media and we've been, we banter back and forth and, and he lets me know what his exhibitions coming up are. We, we become friends. So. so then over your short time in the art career, how did you meet up with Lawrence Lee and start working on that collaboration? If you can talk about that and that series that you both worked on. Yeah, Lawrence Lee. Uh, we met uh, through a a crypto art platform, a platform where they sell uh, we sell art using tokens, and uh, it 
creates this, a scarcity to the art. So each art piece has this token. But we both work on a platform called Super Rare. I followed his art there and he followed mine and we we got on Discord in a group where we uh, promoted the concept of um, higher royalties. Mm. The, these these crypto art platforms uh, have a, instituted a way of when the art is resold that they give a 10% uh, royalty to the artist, back to the artist. So we, we collaborated with a group of other artists to promote that concept to all the crypto art platforms to get a uniform 10% across all of them because some of them weren't offering that as a, a feature of their marketplace. Right. Uh, so I met him there and then uh, later on I asked him to collaborate with me being from Colorado originally, I'm kind of like Southwestern style art and he's in Tucson, Arizona and he has a long career, I think since 76 or so in fine art painting yeah. uh, specializing in in uh, southwestern art and so i assumed he had a big library of images which with artificial intelligence art i need like at least two thousand images to train a model wow. to get to get decent results i didn't realize it was that many wow yeah you can you can kind of fake it out by creating variations of the oh, same okay. thing mm -hmm. by rotating them slightly just enough to throw off the algorithm and think it's something new. Oh, okay. But you need a lot of them. I worked with, he gave me about 300 of his images, well, 200 and some, and then I went across the internet and scraped everything <laughs> I could find that people had posted about his art Yeah, because people have resold it at auction and things. So I scraped as much as I could find. Uh, he had lost a lot of his art when he he retired um, and moved to South America somewhere and uh, had had thrown out all his old pictures oh, of his art. Oh man! Well, so I, I he didn't have as much as I expected, but it uh, it worked out well. We worked collaboratively. I would generate stuff and send it back to him, and he would sometimes correct it. He would fix it, make it look better. And I would sometimes throw it back in the model and do some more training on it. So it's a very iterative process. Yeah. How long did this whole process take? Uh, was it just a few months, a few weeks, a year? I mean, it sounds like it would take uh, a while. It took like three months. That's pretty hardcore still. That's, that takes a while. <laughs> yeah. Just to get decent results. There was a lot of experimentation. That's what I enjoy about the art I make is just the you keep trying things until you get something interesting. Um, so, and some of it was him refining his, his digital skills. He's, he's trained in many years doing paintings. Right. Uh, he does do digital art. He's very technologically savvy, mm -hmm. um, for, for, uh, his age group. He's into the cryptocurrency and, and any kind of new technology for making art. He's always trying to explore new things. So uh, for your own work, do you like to use a lot of the digital drawing apps that are out there now? Or do you use uh, like pen and paper or something tangible and then scan it? Or how's your, your process? Um, I, I mainly use computer tools. I've drawn a few pictures, but I'm not, I'm not great at drawing. I was never really the artist of my family. <laughs> um, so I have lots of tools I use. I started out with a oscilloscope, drawing images with it. I do a lot of SVG files, just oh, okay. line drawings. Yeah. 
which is what the oscilloscope needs. It's just a very simple line drawing. Yeah. And then animating that and using that as input to the model. More often, I just um, use a lot of open source, open public domain images mm-hmm. and use them to train the model and mixing different things together. Oh, so uh, with that being said, what kind of new projects are you working on right now as we speak? I am working on one for a, a Korean AI art competition on faces. So it's a lot of, I took a bunch of whole pile of pictures of people in gas masks Hmm. and clocks and ran built a model based on that. And now I'm blending it with crucifixes. I have a whole nother model of crucifixes that I used for another project. Oh, okay. So I'm, I'm blending some things together. It creates these, it's called a latent walk. It's kind of like a morphing. It's like the old morphing sort of thing where you morph in from one picture to another one. Right. But it's stuff that's in the model. You can morph through the matrix of values in the, the AI model to get different characteristics of the pixels. But it looks like a, a kind of a moving video of objects turning into other objects. So I have these series of gas masks kind of surrealistic looking face masks that kind of morph into other things mm-hmm. that I'm playing with. So it's it's kind of centered around the, the idea of, I called it the, a time for protest hmm. is what I titled one of them. Uh, so kind of around the themes, current themes of some of the protests and people like people in gas masks and those sorts of things. Yeah, what's going on in the world, yeah. So when you start a new project, how much does a narrative or story play into the project itself? Like just the one you just talked about, do you kind of think of it as telling a story or or not? Um, it depends. And some, sometimes I start with a story and build from that. I have a reoccurring story that kind of is sort of iterative. I, hmm. I created some AI art, and it kind of made me think of a start of a story. So I started writing a story about how this art fit into this narrative. And then I would go back to the art, and I would see new things in the art, in the the AI is pushing out these images and I'm just curating and finding ones that look interesting. Yeah. And they would, they would trigger a memory or a thought about where the story goes next. So I'm using the, the generative art image to kind of trigger a new thread for the story. Then I take the story and use it to make more art. It's kind of a science fiction story, but I've, so I've, some blog posts that kind of have a serial, a serialized story with these images with that I create with it. Other times I take what the, like this gas mask series, yeah. I just take the different images and kind of arrange them in a way that shows some sort of transformation, like from maybe from somebody who has no face and then it morphs into somebody who has a gas mask on or something. Hmm. Kind of a more of a transformational sort of narrative. Yeah, yeah. When, when you first started getting involved in the crypto art world, 
what was your first thoughts about when you first started getting involved and where do you think it is going to go into the future? Uh, when I first got into it, I thought it's worth a try. I didn't, uh, I wasn't sure if it would really go anywhere or not. A lot of the marketplaces where I've tried to sell art, mm-hmm. nothing happens. There's so many, so many people on them. You can't get any sort of attention. Um, so you, it just sits there and nobody finds it, even let alone purchase it. But the crypto art community, when I got in it a couple years ago, was very small. And the artists were very encouraging and would buy other people, artists' art. There's a lot of artists buying other artists' art and kind of supporting each other. Right. But these other artists saw something in what I had. It kind of validated that I had something interesting to somebody. Before that, I didn't, it was interesting to me and I had fun making it. But is it, is it really, do other people like it? So it kind of validated my path, and then I started creating more art because people were buying it. The future path, I think it's just going to keep growing. I think the COVID-19 crisis we have has accelerated it. More people are looking at art at home. It has some nice features with the blockchain being able to track the provenance of digital art, which yeah. has never been possible before. That's true. I see more complex contracts coming. Hmm. With with Ethereum, the token has a contract on it, and the contract is programmable in a way. When you create it, you can they create them to uh, like if if someone buys my art like a fourth or fifth party down the line, the contract knows to send me a percentage back. So that's built into the system yeah. of the the network. But I see more complex transactions. Uh, it's even happening now. People getting loans on their art. Uh, so they get a loan of money based on the art they have, oh, wow. which is digital art. Yeah, There's people doing complex market transactions with the tokens now too there's a lot of financial things happening that i that are too complex that i kind of stay away from yeah i think it's just gonna keep getting bigger and more people are gonna get interested there's gonna be a huge influx of corporate branding coming in i think like you know a big company wants to sell something with their brand on it and kind of people like to buy stuff they can identify with a brand the gaming it's going to go further into gaming people want to show their art inside their their virtual reality game Hmm. of some sort i already put there's already a huge vr community where we put up our art in vr uh crypto voxels is one decentral land the sandbox there's a bunch of different places but it's going to blur some more and hopefully somebody cracks the whole, how do you display my art in the home issue? Yeah. Some, some kind of device that will consolidate all your art together from all the platforms and keep a copy of it. So if the platform disappears, you have your copy and then have some way to display it and organize it and curate it, those sorts of things. Hmm. So like you would have to come up with a way to use like a link tree to help kind of 
collect everything for you in one spot into a, a frame. Oh, that's an interesting idea. Hmm. Yeah, the, the, there is a marketplace for doing that called OpenSea. The oh. problem is OpenSea doesn't keep the high-resolution copy of the image. The high-resolution copy kind of lives wherever the platform decide, the platform you bought it on decides it should be. Oh, that's interesting. Huh. I don't know how I feel about that, to be honest with you. <laughs> hmm. If you really want to hold on to that, make sure that copy is safe, that you go and copy it to your own hard drive somewhere at some point. Right, yeah. So you always have your copy or your... Yeah, your thing that's somewhere safe, so you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, this the token will live out there forever on, on the blockchain, but that right. token doesn't have your image in it. Yeah, yeah. So can you tell me what kind of other uh, upcoming events and or exposition that you're going to be doing? Sure. I There's one in September um, online with uh, Super Rare. It's a, a collection of artists Um showing their gener it's about generative art so it's a whole diff different types of generative and ai art and then also in september through october i believe mm -hmm. there's a group called artenables.org in dc yeah and they're uh, they have an outsider art outsider art inside the beltway exhibition they do every year this year they're doing it all online and i they accepted a piece of mine into that oh congratulations uh, thanks which is uh it's an ai artwork but it's made from some of my oscilloscope art run through a next frame prediction model called pix to pix yeah. so it generates a movie based on what it learned from watching my animation Oh wow! That is uh, how how long is this uh, video last? Out of curiosity, uh, this one in the show in the exhibition is only like thirty seconds of it. Oh okay. I I crop. I tend to crop off. I pick the best bits and crop off the stuff that doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, there's a lot of in in. AI art, there's a lot of human intervention in, in kind of interpreting what's coming out of the computer and the model. So there's, um, when people don't think, I don't, there's a misconception that people think that the computer's just generating stuff out of thin air and that the human doesn't really have any decisions to make, but uh, there's a ton in there. Yeah, I, I will admit, uh, you know, I, before really kind of learning for myself about kind of a deep dive about AI art, I mean, like most people, I just thought, oh, okay, you just feed it some information and then it just makes up its own thing. But like you said, I've learned that it, it it's more human interaction than than what you think. And I, I you just, you know, pointed out earlier about, you know, you still need to take 2000 images to order to create something and uh, you still have to kind of curate, curate it and still teach it at the same time. So that's a lot of hands on. That's not just uh, sit back and just drink a cup of coffee and watch it work. Yeah. <laughs> Although there's a lot of that. It takes <laughs> days to compute sometimes. Oh, wow. What's the longest time it's taken for something that you've worked on to get done, like compute-wise? Um, on some of the older technology, I, it would take like like 48 hours. Hmm. That's, that's a lot of work. Jeez. 
Now, the, I'm assuming you would sleep during that time, right? <laughs> you wouldn't sit there. Oh, the yeah. Time. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you just let it run. It, you oh, know. okay. It's, it's like rendering and rendering a complex image using some kind of rendering, 3D rendering software. You just let it sit and run and check it. Yeah. Well, that uh, kind of wraps up the interview there. Um, I thank you very much, sir, for doing this. And... I want to say thank you to Brad for taking the time to do the interview. If you want to learn more about his work, you can go to his website at bradison.com. He's also on Instagram at bradison. And as usual, you can hear past episodes of Artbox on artboxdnv.com. And Artbox is also on Instagram at artboxdnv. Until next time, thank you for listening.